Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. This podcast will seek to define and explain this important question from multiple points of view. We will interview owners, breeders, caregivers, defenders, advocates, champions, and educators. The mission of my podcast is to seek and foster collaborative conversations where every point of view feels heard, acknowledged, and appreciated. I look forward to you joining me on this journey toward a better understanding of each other. It is possible to have an impossible conversation. It starts with listening for common ground first. I am so glad you're here listening in with me. Now let's see what my next guest has to say. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton of Why Do Pets Matter? I'm the host, and today we're here with Yvonne DeVita, a very dear friend of mine, long time, also a serial entrepreneur, which I love. She's now focused on working with women, but before this, and probably still today, she helps people publish books, and I can't wait to work with her. I'm on in one of her groups for book publishing to publish the next Nipped in the Bud, Not in the Butt, my book. She's an incredible influencer. It's where I met her as she was the head of Blog Pause, which was this incredible group that worked to facilitate people writing blogs about pets and beyond. I mean, the information you got there was incredible. Um, and of course, because she's a guest on Why Do Pets Matter, pets matter to her incredibly much. So I'll ask her that question after I say, Yvonne, thank you so much for being here. Oh, Deborah, this has been like, I've been looking forward to this for such a long time. I'm so happy to be here. Well, that's good because we're happy you're here and I know you're going to be a recurring guest because all of the times we've had conversations together, they've been so enlightening to me and I'd love to share your wisdom. Um, not that she's old, Audie, and she's very young um, and she has two beautiful daughters who are also incredibly brilliant and I hope to have uh, at least one of them on uh, in the future, but she is just a fountain of information that everyone will want to hear why pets matter to Yvonne DeVita? You know, here's the answer. Because um, my dog, back when I was 12 years old, kind of saved my life. And it it was a, a desire, a, a deep, I had to have a dog. I, I must have, like, every single day, when can I get a dog to my mom and dad? And they finally relented um, when I was 12. And I got the dog, and that dog was with me um, all through high school, junior high and high school. And that dog was my best, best friend. Um, I didn't go anywhere in the neighborhood without the dog. People knew if I was coming to their house, had the dog. And, and it just grew from there, um, Deborah, because the dog was my lifeline. Yeah. So maybe the first beginnings of what we now call emotional support animals. Yes, yes, because... Because going through teenage... Well, I, I had a rough life, okay? Things were not happy. It wasn't this happy household. And, um, you know, without the dog, not sure what would have happened, but that dog was my lifeline, literally. And, 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 you know, cats, we wanted a cat. My mother didn't like cats. Later on in life, she got a cat, which was interesting, you know how that happens. Yep. Um, and then, of course, as time went on, um, and all these other animals 
just kept calling to me. That's why I became my original job back in my very much younger years during the burning of the bra era. (laughs) I was a veterinary technologist. Well, that really brought you close to animals. And I I want to really accentuate for the audience that this is such an important discussion about um, how animals can really affect young people's lives as they're forming. Because you have no idea how much I talked to Kelly, my German schnauzer, who I got when I was five. Um, And we were talking about her the other day, but like your dog, she really got me through middle school and high school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think that children find that bond with the animal because the animal doesn't have an expectation. The animal doesn't think you have to wear something pretty or take a shower or whatever. All that animal wants is to be wherever you are. Yeah. With- they want to be where you are and they want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And, and always, <laughs> and, 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 you know, today, especially when I was at blog pause and, and blog pause was a family business. So my husband and my daughter were both at blog pause. Um, my other daughter and my son were not, but they, they supported everything. They're very pet people also. Um, but, you know, we met so many of the pet bloggers who these were support animals for them. It wasn't that they went out into senior homes or children's schools or whatever with them. The support animal was for them in their um, house because they were emotionally needy in some way, shape or form. And that's, you know, that's not to say it's a bad thing because it's not. We're all emotionally needy at some point and in some way. Um and animals can save your life. They absolutely can. I always say to people, if your dog isn't an emotional support animal, maybe you should reconsider having it. Yes, yes. If I mean, at night, so my dog, my dog Emily is, we used to have three dogs and a cat. We're down to one dog. <clears throat> and so Emily is our baby. Right. You know, I'm not ashamed to say that. I say it all the time. She's my baby. I call her baby. As soon as I say the word, she perks up and wants to know what what you're talking about me. And so at night, in the last, just the last few months, and maybe it's since, all right, we're going through this COVID COVID thing. We're all home. My daughter, her husband, their two kids and three cats have moved in. Um, And they moved in because they're selling their house. And this was in February. And then suddenly nobody could leave. Pre-COVID and then they were there for sure. Yep. And then the house is ready to sell, but they can't sell it. So I don't know if it's because of the change. She's She wants to be friends with these cats, these three cats. And the cats just give her the cold shoulder. But um, since then, what she's been doing lately is, so at 10 o'clock or between 10 and 11 at night, my husband Tom will let her out and give her her nighttime little snack. And she usually goes right to her bed. She has her own room, which is right across from us. And um, she sleeps on a futon. So she has a nice bed, trust me. Um, But lately... He'll do that, give her her treats, and then she comes barging into the room and sits there and looks at me. And I'm like, in the beginning, 
What do you want? What do you want? Okay, here, let me go tuck you in. Maybe you just need a little extra loving. So I've been going every night now. She gets up on the bed and I give her some rubs and some pets and I talk to her and she's fine. So we've developed this new little thing where I have to put Emily to bed. Well, you know, this, you mentioned COVID and we're all um, navigating this new normal, right? Mm -hmm. And People think that, oh, the dogs are so happy with everyone being together. And her life was a little turned upside down by your daughter and her husband and her kids, Mm -hmm. which probably are okay. The three cats, maybe not so much. Uh, But, you know, this is a whole turnaround for them. And and I just got off a program where I talked to people about making a plan for their pets and recognizing the change that has occurred for them. Either we're walking their butts off, which never happened during the day because we want to get out and walk around. And if you've got a dog, you can do that. Um, or you're there all the time and they're not getting as much sleep. Well, we we were, are normally here <clears throat> anyway, my husband and I, but you're right. The three kids, she is, she is literally not getting the naps that she used to because she's busy. Where are the cats? Should I be checking on the cats? Um, the last few days, she's been going down in the basement with Tom to his office where she's got a little bit more peace. Uh, but she loves the kids. Yeah. She loves my daughter and her husband. I mean, that's where she stays when we leave town. That's that's the go-to place for her to be. But you're right. I mean, this whole thing has been an upheaval of hers. Um, and she's gradually getting into a little routine. So I give her that little extra love at night. And I I do think that she misses her other dogs. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, we lost them in Colorado when we were there and then we moved back to New York. So that was another big change in her life. She didn't have her other dogs and now she's in a new house and we've only been here two years. So it isn't that long. People think it is. People think an animal is just happy wherever you put it. And while it is, there are still, the animal is like you, you've turned their life upside down and maybe now they're going to be a little bit closer to you or they're going to misbehave or they're going to chew things they didn't chew because they're confused. (laughs) I think this period of time um, has been a real difference making. So I had a litter of puppies March 12th. So right before the lockdown, I had a litter of puppies and it's made the sheltering in place much more fun. Um, However, it also takes a lot of time. And I noticed that my older dogs, uh, now that I'm walking them two hours a day instead of 15 minutes twice a day. Uh, they, they, they're sort of don't know whether, you know, excuse the expression, um, shit or wind their watch. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what's going on. Uh, they're pretty sure they like it, but they're not sure. And I think in your dog, babies, um, Emily or baby uh, condition or, or place, the thing that's interesting is she is probably missing her siblings her dog siblings um but the cats are there now so she's like okay fine let me just do the cats and and as you said cats you know can take or leave a dog they don't necessarily move easily although they probably stayed with you when your daughter went on vacation so your house isn't well no they stayed at home and we it's only we would go and take care of them and they'd be fine they they hadn't but um i mean now they've adjusted here yeah, Emily would love to be friends with the cats, but one one of the cats is quite elderly and um, is not very tuned in to Emily. 
uh, the youngest cat, just a year old, I think it was uh, this cat, um, is kind of looking at her like, I don't know what to make of you yet. We'll see. And then the middle cat, who's older, but not, but like a teenager or, or middle age, as opposed to the elderly cat, just kind of, it's like Emily doesn't exist. She just walks by her like she's not there. Yeah. And they know Emily because Emily went and visited them when you went away, but they were like, well, you're in my house and we have to tolerate you for a few days. Now they're not in their house and they're with that dog that kept coming to visit. Yes. It's amazing. You know, the, the, the way in which animals perceive things and we have only begun to scratch the surface. You know, you're a vet tech, and I'm sure in that position at the beginning of time when we were all burning our bras and marching and, you know, um, the Equal Rights Amendment's coming around, so what's old is new, so here you go. Uh, What did you think was the single most important thing you provided um, to pets that mattered um, to you and to the client? Back when I was a vet tech? Yeah. Um, To me they were not property to too many people, especially back then, um, they were property. And so to me, they were not, they were sentient thinking beings. They had feelings, they had emotions, they hurt when you stuck them with a needle. Um, and so I always treated them and, you know, their owners, we say pet parents now, back then we would say owners, with the idea that um, these animals are more than just a, a piece of property. Right. They're living, breathing. And They're, we know that most of the pet owners treated the pets that way as well. Many did. Many did. And, and the animals were or dogs, especially, especially like hunting dogs and beagles and whatnot. And even today, they're kept outdoors. And I'm not going to say that's bad. I don't want anyone to think. I know that um, today many, many of them are well taken care of and they're kept outdoors for a reason, but they're still well taken care of and and given attention. But um, we have learned, we have learned that just because you have a husky dog doesn't mean you can chain it to the the, um, dog house in 10 degree below um, blistery, blizzardy weather. No, you need to bring that dog inside. It is. It it's interesting, especially unless you know. I guess you're training for the Iditarod, and then that's a whole different set of you know. Well, then you have um, a whole group of dogs to keep each other warm. Right, and yeah, exactly. They have a PS. They have a whole group of dogs to keep each other warm, and it's part of their training regimen. Yeah. So they gradually get to that point. They're not just you know seasonal, and it it's it's interesting because there are the people who want to have purpose-bred dogs doing their purpose, mm-hmm. um, and there are people who want dogs to you know just be companions and pets and be part of the family. And what I love to do by this podcast and going further is to bring those divergent points of view together so that you can both understand that these dogs actually are thriving. They may not be thriving. They may not be able to to pull a sled because they're living in your house and eating way too much and not walking enough. Um, Or they're nice and slim and trim and muscular, um, but they're not living in your house. And they're happy about that because I I remember I took a dog from someone who uh, kept it in a kennel and she was dying of cancer. And when I took the dog, I tried to matriculate her into my house and she hated it. She hated it. My kids ran around too much and I had to listen to her. 
I had to listen to what she was telling me. And so I had a beautiful, you know, kennel down the basement that no one ever slept in. Everybody always slept in my bedroom, but I had it there because I was afraid of fire. So I always put everybody down there when I left so the firemen would know how to get them out. Because please let my house burn. I just want you to get my dogs out of the kennel. So they all went down there um, and she loved it down there. And every time I asked her to come upstairs, she'd look at me as much as to say, are you kidding me? (laughs) I have food down here. I have water down here. I have the comfiest bed known to man down here and I can go in and out as I please. Why would I leave? Just so that you could pet me? It's not that big a deal for me. And you know, you know that from being with blog pause, which is the next thing I want to touch upon. You know that there are so many ways that people perceive animals. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's better to let the animals tell you what they want. Right. You have to, you have to be open. And that's exactly what's happening with the cats. So the cats kind of, we, we have a house where um, it's a, it's a ranch with another level on, on top. And I, my husband and I live here. Um, there's a full basement where his office is, but we live on the first floor. That's my office, our bedroom. We have um, Emily's room, kitchen, living room. It's all here. The upstairs has two huge, enormous, enormous bedrooms and a bathroom. And so that's where they have, have right. settled. And so the cats did stay up there. The cats were like, yeah, we're happy. This looks where physical. we are. Right. We're we're gonna explore up here, and then they'd come downstairs and poke their head around till they saw the dog. Then they'd run up. Well, it's been. I told you it was in February. Um, so they all come down now, and so they're still. And and again, to your point, we're not bringing them down. Trying them, you know. Here, here's the dog. Make friends with the dog. No, it's that's not the way to do it. We, I know that. Years ago, um, gosh, I wish that we had years ago the kinds of information we have today because there were times, for instance, um, we had a cat that wouldn't use the litter box. And I wish I'd had the information then to teach me to listen to the cat, to find out why, not just take it to the vet because the vet was the cat's fine, put it, you know, back then you locked it in the bathroom for three days and made it use the litter box. Um, right. Not sure we would do that today. And I think there would be a lot more, there is a lot more information. And people are more, I think people, especially women, are more willing to say, hmm, that's a behavioral problem. And maybe I contributed to it somehow. Let's God forbid. Well, let's figure it out instead of just, here, get rid of this animal. I do know that um, you what you you speak complete truth because our dogs and cats um, react to us, both the good Mm -hmm. and the not so good. Mm -hmm. Naughty Junie got his name because his mother let him be naughty. (laughs) And I would say Naughty Junie and he got attention and he thought that was the neatest thing. So he'd keep doing what was naughty. And, And, you know, you just don't even comprehend that you're reinforcing things because you're trying to stop it but if you don't give them enough positive attention and redirect we know that now we didn't know it then if you don't give them positive attention and redirect they will do the negative attention because they're getting attention sort of like kids well it's it's we had a dog um years ago that loved to shoot out the door if, if if she could and she would not come when you called her she would not come back till she was ready. And then, of course, we punished her. 
And it wasn't until years later, people were like, well, why did you punish her for coming home? Yeah. <laughs> you should be welcoming her. Right. If she felt good, then when you called her, she would come back. And I try to find that redirection um, activity that you can do. Uh, I always said when I trained my dogs uh, when they were babies at the beginning in the old obedience days, I would really ram the training for drop on recall. Yes. Um, so important because if they ran away and yes. they were across the street, I yes. wanted them to stay there. Yes. So the drop on recall was the biggest exercise I taught everybody drop on recall and stay and wait till I get there and play with a toy and throw a ball or whatever we did because I never wanted them to come back. I wanted, unless we were in a big field and then I said come and most of them did. Um, but I did, never wanted them to come back if they were across the street. So drop on recall was my biggest, biggest thing. Um, it's It's been a delight. We didn't touch enough about blog posts because I love blog posts. We're going to have to have you back within a few weeks because you know what? This is such a warm and wonderful conversation. I thank you so much for telling us the story about your first dog when you were 12, who was you know, an emotional support dog before we even knew there was such a thing. And, and how many I, others were out there? How many others ever were out there, children? And I think that's what I think sometimes about families that for whatever reason are being split up and the dog is given away or something. No, the children need that dog or cat or bird. You're reading my mind and you're really scaring me because when I, when I said that, I said, the next thing I want to say is about divorce and, and divorce it's, you know, well, a dog will go with, with whomever, or maybe not. And, and I always say, you know, first of all, your pet doesn't hate your ex. You wish they would, but they usually right. don't. Right. <laughs> and if you, and if you had to put it in a kennel and I don't know about your dogs, my dogs go to a kennel pretty well. Cause you know, they're show dogs. So they travel mm -hmm. well. However, I know my husband would be a better place if he was my ex even, but I'll never get rid of him. I've, I've donated too much time and training. So I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you feel the same way. You, yes. know, you don't need too much time and training. No way. Um, but it, they would adjust, but there are a lot of dogs who have incredible anxiety uh, when they go to a kennel. So you really, if, if you can give them to the ex, it, you know, put your pride and your, and your need to have ego and your, you know, victory lap aside and let the pet go and of course if you're taking the dog on someone's vacation um and you're an ex make sure you return the dog recognize that this is the best thing for the dog and don't be you know a nincompoop and you know don't give the dog back it it really is very important i mean i don't know how many cases i have come through my um mm -hmm. my office where people actually have agreements and then they don't um, abide by them. And yeah. what an emotional drain that is on the other party, because especially if they have no children, I mean, yes, the dog is really a grounding for the children going through a life change. I mean, some but people- for you also. Yeah, they're, some people are gonna lose their homes during COVID. Um, mm -hmm. and, and we were talking about this before we came on the air, so we'll have to do this next time. What happens if you've lost your job and you can't afford and what do you do and what goes with the dog? It, it is a question and it yeah. is assistance that people need and how do we provide that assistance? Because well, I think that's why it's so important for what you're doing and for people, I mean, you opened my eyes also because I was one of those people who said, well, my daughter will take the dog and probably she would have, but how much better for 
our dogs and for ourselves to be able to say, I know what's going to happen if, if I'm not here or if, if um, for some reason the dog needs to go somewhere because I, uh, the dog would be traumatized and I would be traumatized. Well, you know, you are the one person who really um, drove it home to me about redundancy and also about guilt because we all know our children will take our pets. We do, we all know it. However, sometimes they're in a situation, your daughters aren't, but my sons are, they're in no pet buildings. So if something happens to me, they can't take my pets. So, okay, maybe they could get out of their lease and move and do whatever they had to do, but not in a week, right? Um, So they have backup. And that was the piece I added to the MAP program based on your wonderful comment about, you know, I don't want her to feel guilty if she can't take it. And I went, you know, that's phenomenal because that's true. So Yvonne's the person who's going to take my dogs. I know it. There's never going to be a breaking time word. But if Yvonne can, I want to make sure that she knows that Mary and Sue and Anne are there. And you have to, of course, let Yvonne know about Mary, Sue and Anne because it's really important. So I am so glad you're here for Why Do Pets Matter? You'll be back soon because I need so much more information. You take good care. Um, I want to wrap up by saying, you know, listening to your animals and knowing what they are telling you um, is so key. We covered that. Knowing that all animals are emotional support animals. Back in the day, they might not have identified it, but now we know. And it's, it's, so it's not um, a smack to people who have letters that say their dogs are emotional support animals. That's a whole different question that you and I will address. But knowing that animals are emotionally supportive of adults and children, yes. especially now. I mean, it, all the shelters are empty and, and let's hope that we can facilitate people when they return to work, keeping those dogs um, so that the dogs can have grounding. Uh, and people need to be receptive about the animal's well-being. Um, That is really key. Animals mean more to us now than they did before. Uh, They're members of our family, they're companions. Um, I think it was at last count $75 billion a year that's spent on the care of animals. I think it's up to that much. When we first met, I think it was 55 billion. And that wasn't so long ago. (laughs) Well, it's it's recession proof in in many ways. Um, You know, I think that we have- It may dip this year after COVID, but- Yes, yes. But for those who have, we were just saying this morning, Tom and I, we bought Emily a new treat and she doesn't like it. So of course we're going to go out and get her the kind she likes. Likes. And yep. the new treat will go to the, uh, my sister's house or something, but right. I'm not going to deprive her of having her treat. Especially during COVID, we're all suffering. And, know. you know, I don't know about you, but I'm buying myself treats and it's not really doing great things for my waistline. But that's a whole nother conversation yeah, as well. Another story. Yvonne DeVita, serial entrepreneur, um, women coach, and book publisher. I am so grateful you've been on. Thank you so much for being on Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton, host of Why Do Pets Matter? I'm so glad all my listeners are here as well. And please join me next time for another episode of Why Do Pets Matter? Take care. You've been listening to the podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. Do you have a great idea or guest or topic that you'd like me to cover? Write me at hamiltonlawandmediation.com or email me at whydopetsmatterpodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, 
Our pets do matter. Thank you for being here with me.